Before we read the passage, let's seek God in prayer. Father, we come to you as sinners. We come to you as your people, many of us in this auditorium. And we ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit and feed your sheep and save sinners and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in the reading and the proclamation of your holy word. We ask for these mercies, pleading the merits and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. So please follow along now as I read in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when he entered again into Capernaum after some days, the Lord Jesus Christ, it was noise that he was in the house, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room for them, no, not even about the door. And he spoke the word unto them. And they come, bringing unto him a man sick of the palsy, a paralyzed man, carried by four. And when they could not come near unto him for the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed whereupon the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins are forgiven. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but one, even God? And straightway Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, said unto them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the sick of the palsy, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, and take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, take up your bed, and go unto your house. And he arose, and straightway took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And there we stop our reading of God's word. So when we read this history, and it is history, it is easy to focus our attention upon the activity of the four friends of the paralyzed man. And indeed, their activity is worthy to be noticed. It's very commendable. But the central figure in this passage, in this history, is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we actually behold him as prophet, priest, and king. So notice, first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet, in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, we read of the Lord's return to his home base, as it were, of the city of Capernaum, a fishing village located on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And once the Lord arrived back in town, news spread rapidly that he was in the house where he normally stayed. 
And consequently, many went to this house in order to see him and, of course, to hear him speak. And those who could squeeze into this house, into the common room of this house, they did so. And after this room was filled to capacity, others gathered around the entrance door of the house. They all wanted to see and hear Jesus. We do not know the number of the people that were present on this occasion. Our text simply tells us that there were many. They all came to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak, and they were not disappointed because verse 2 tells us he spoke the word unto them. And with these very simple and very brief words, we're reminded of the Lord's continuous and tireless work, which was the declaration of God's truth to people everywhere. He was the faithful prophet of Jehovah who instructed sinners by proclaiming God's truth, by explaining the truth, and by applying the word of God to their hearts, to their lives, to their consciences. He was the prophet of Jehovah. Very simple, right here in verse 2. But notice, secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ, the priest. As the great high priest of his people, the Lord Jesus Christ's supreme work was his propitiatory death of atonement on the cross for the sins of his people. Now, those are big words. Many of you here know the meanings of those words. Propitiatory, that means his death on the cross was a sacrifice for sin that turned away the wrath of Almighty God. And atonement means he made satisfaction before God for the justice of God, their sins demand, the sins of the people whom Christ dies for, their sins demand punishment. And so the Lord Jesus, as the great high priest, his supreme work was his propitiatory death of atonement on the cross for the sins of his elect. When we read Mark 2, we understand that this great work of the Lord Jesus Christ had not yet been accomplished, obviously. But nevertheless, as we will see in this passage, the Lord, as the great high priest, applies the benefits of his future propitiatory death to a specific needy sinner. And we should also remember that as the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ also dealt with the effects and consequences of sin when he lived here on this earth. And Matthew 8, verse 16, you don't need to turn there. Very familiar words. We read, And when evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many possessed with demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our sicknesses and carried away our diseases. And then in Matthew 11, verse 3 and following, we read that John the Baptist sent messengers to the Lord Jesus and asked him, Are you he that comes, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto the messengers, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. 
And that's what we see in this passage in Mark 2. We see the Lord Jesus Christ working this miracle, this miracle of healing a man who was paralyzed. The miraculous healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as priest was displayed here in Mark 2, confirming that he was indeed the long-expected and promised Messiah, the Savior of sinners. And so when we look at this passage, we behold both aspects of the Lord's work as the great high priest of his people. He made the lame walk. And he forgave sins. And notice now specifically, the paralytic is brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark tells us of an unnamed man who was paralyzed. And because he was paralyzed, he had to be carried on a pallet or a bed. Really what we would call a stretcher. Clearly he had no ability to walk. And possibly he had no ability to use his arms. He was not wheelchair bound. He was stretcher bound and unable to sit up. He was totally dependent upon others for everything. Getting clothed each day. Getting food and drink each day. Getting bathed and having basic sanitary needs taken care of moving from one location to another location. We don't know how this man became paralyzed. We don't know if this was his condition from birth or if he had an accident. But this much we know. He was a very needy man. And although he was very needy and helpless in himself, he was not totally hopeless because Mark tells us that he had friends. Mark tells us nothing specific about these four friends, but one thing of, about them is very clear. They were true and caring friends. They clearly did not think it was a burden for them to help their friend who was paralyzed. They worked together as a team in order to take care of their paralyzed friend. They were faithful friends to this man. And as faithful friends, they did the most important thing that any friend could do. They brought their friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to you Christians here this night, you need to realize that is the most important thing you can do. And you who are parents who have children in your home, whether young or teenagers or young adults in your home, this is the most important thing you can do. It's not sending them off to college, though that has its place. It's not making sure they're financially situated in life, though that has its place. The most important thing that you can do is bring your children to the Lord Jesus Christ. You do that by praying for them. You do that by speaking the word of God to them. You do that by bringing the gospel to them. You do that by making sure they're coming to church with you to hear the word of God proclaimed. This is what you should do. And these faithful friends brought their friend, their paralyzed friend, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as you know from the passage we've read, they quickly discovered that their desire was not easily obtained, 
because they were immediately confronted by obstacles and challenges. First of all, there were too many people blocking their way to get into the house. Secondly, those people that were outside of the house, around the door to the house, they were clearly so riveted in their attention upon the Lord Jesus inside the house that they couldn't even get them to move out of the way so they could get the paralyzed friend into the house. And then, of course, the Lord himself, being in this house, was surrounded by walls and covered by a ceiling. But these obstacles did not cause these friends to give up, to quit, because they loved their friend. And they knew that they had to bring him to Jesus Christ. And so they looked for a way to do this. And they discovered a way. Steps on the outside of the house led to the flat roof of the house, a common reality in Palestine. They brought him up onto that flat roof and they began, whether with their hands or with some tools that they gathered, we don't know, and they started to crush the cement and the plaster and the wood and whatever was there on that flat roof in order to get an opening so they could lower their friend on his stretcher through a hole, a pretty big hole, down in front of the Lord Jesus. They were not at all concerned, what would Jesus think about this unusual method? They were not at all concerned with disrupting the service. You see, they had to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. He needed physical healing. But more importantly, their friend needed spiritual healing, even the forgiveness of his sins. The spiritual and physical needs of their paralyzed friend motivated these four to overcome all obstacles and challenges to bring him to Jesus Christ. And by way of a practical lesson, this is what we must do as believers. We must bring our spiritually needy, physically needy friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is not physically present here on earth, obviously. But we can bring him to Christ, bring them to Christ by bringing the word of God to them and by inviting and bringing them to church again to hear the word of God. Like these four friends in Mark 2, we will meet with obstacles, challenges as we seek to bring sinners to Christ. And therefore, we must think and pray and ask God for wisdom to overcome any obstacles and challenges that we face. Regardless of the physical condition of our unconverted friends, we must not leave them alone and isolated. They are alone and isolated as sinners lost on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. And we must faithfully bring our needy friends to the Lord Jesus Christ by speaking the gospel to them. So the paralytic was brought to the Lord. But secondly, notice the paralytic is forgiven by the Lord. We're told in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, that the Lord saw the faith of these men. And I believe that was all five 
Not just the four friends, but the paralytic. So how did the Lord see their faith? He saw the reality of their internal faith that these five men believed that the Lord Jesus could both heal and forgive sins. He could see this by their external actions. And surely this history should remind us of what the Apostle James in the future would write in his letter, James chapter 2, where James wrote, a man will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. So you see our omniscient Lord could see the reality of saving faith in the hearts of the four friends and I believe in the heart of the paralytic man as well. The Lord, first of all, and most importantly, pronounced forgiveness for the sins of this paralyzed man. The Lord could see that he was paralyzed. The Lord knows all things, and he no doubt knew that this man had been in this condition for years, maybe all of his life. But the most important reality which the Lord first addressed was his need for the forgiveness of his sins. As burdensome as his paralyzed state was, his far greater burden was the weight of his sins, the weight of his transgressions and iniquities. So I ask you children, teenagers, adults, whoever you are, do you feel the burden, the weight of your sin. When you lie to dad or mom, when you're mean to your brother or sister, when you're disrespectful to someone at work with your words, do your sins bother you? Do you even see your sins? Or do you basically think you're okay? You see, that was the greatest burden for this paralyzed man. It was not the fact that he was paralyzed. It was the fact that he had sin upon his heart, upon his conscience. That was his greatest burden. And that really needs to be understood by you individually, that that's your greatest burden, your greatest need. But notice with straightforward simplicity, the Lord spoke words that were of eternal and unchangeable power, he spoke and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. What a wonderful reality to hear from the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. This is a reality when pronounced by the Lord Jesus Christ that will not change. The Lord saves and the Lord keeps and the Lord finishes his work of salvation and brings everyone who trusts in him safely to glory. But notice, thirdly, the paralytic is healed by the Lord. He's forgiven by the Lord. He's healed by the Lord. 
the Lord's pronouncement that the sins of this paralytic were forgiven created an immediate objection in the hearts of some of the Jewish scribes who were seated there in the house. We read of this in verses 6 and 7 of Mark 2. In their hearts, they accused Jesus of blaspheming and asked two questions. Why does this man speak this way? Who can forgive sins but one, God? Our omniscient Lord perceived their reasoning in their hearts and immediately asked them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? The scribes did not answer, of course, but the Lord then reproved them with his words in verses 9 through 11. And note that the Lord, in his words of reproof, not only corrected their sinful unbelief, but note, he graciously condescended to validate his authority to forgive sins. Do you see that? They're questioning the Lord Jesus. They're in their hearts really accusing him, accusing him of blaspheming. And yet he still condescended graciously to validate his authority to forgive sins before these skeptics, these accusers. The Lord posed a test question to the scribes in verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the sick of the palsy, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? Well, it is easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, because there's no visible proof that sins have been forgiven when the pronouncement of forgiveness has been declared. Nothing tangible can be seen with which to validate that pronouncement of forgiveness. And consequently, it would be very easy for an imposter to pronounce forgiveness of sins falsely because the reality, whether or not such forgiveness was truly given, could not be seen, could not be proven. But if a person tells a paralytic man, rise, take up your bed and walk, this is a far more difficult pronouncement. Because if the paralytic does not arise, does not get up and walk, you know that this miracle worker is a fake, an imposter, a liar. The Lord Jesus, therefore, now said the more difficult thing to this paralyzed man, arise, take up your bed, and go unto your house. He did that in order to validate that he did indeed have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And what happened? This man immediately arose, took up his stretcher, and went to his house. He obeyed those three commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, showing to all that he was both healed, no longer paralyzed, and that he was truly forgiven for all his sins. 
And thus the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as the great high priest of his people was vividly displayed for all to see. And all were amazed. But notice now the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, healing this paralyzed man and forgiving him for all of his sins, not only proclaimed Jesus as the great high priest of his people, it also proclaimed that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sovereignly and righteously showered mercy upon this helpless and spiritually needy sinner. But yet notwithstanding this clear display in Mark 2, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings, many continued in the sin of unbelief. In Mark 15, verse 31 to 32, we read of this unbelief when Jesus was crucified. We read, in like manner, also the chief priests mocking him among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Unbelief. They mocked the Lord Jesus Christ as he was dying on the cross. They were taunting him as the king of Israel, demanding that he perform a miracle and come down from the cross. They'd already seen many miracles in his life. But the Lord did not do as they requested, as they mockingly wished. The Lord did something far more astonishing. He willingly absorbed the righteous wrath of Almighty God, hanging on the cross mocked by sinners. He willingly died as a sacrifice for the sins of all of his elect, of all of the ages. He absorbed that righteous wrath of God so that all who trust in Christ alone can, like this healed paralytic man of Mark 2, be forgiven for all their sins. Not some, but all their sins. No matter how entrenched those sins may be in your heart and life. No matter how black and dark they are to you and your conscience. No matter how grievous, no matter how frequent. If you this night... Confess to God through Jesus Christ your real sins, all of them. God in Jesus Christ is able and willing to forgive you for all your sins. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, because of his life as well, a life of perfect sinlessness, but then because of his death on the cross, where he did not give in to the requests, the mocking requests 
of the high, the chief priests, come down from the cross. No, he willingly died on the cross so that his people could be forgiven for all their sins. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth proclaimed forgiveness of sins and the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth and died on the cross, provided the forgiveness for sin in his atoning death there on the cross. And you can know the reality of your sins forgiven. And you may ask, well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? You don't need to answer that question. You need instead to obey the gospel commands. Repent of your sins, turn away from them, and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, the living Savior, and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of all your sins, and you shall be forgiven this very night. He proclaimed forgiveness, the Lord. He provided forgiveness in his atoning death as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. And each one of us here in this auditorium can know this reality truly and personally. Notice the words in Mark 2, verse 10, that the Lord spoke. If you don't have your Bible open, look there, please, with your eyes. Mark 2 and verse 10. Notice again the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. You can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive your sins, and you can know experientially the forgiveness of your sins. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage in Mark 2 shows us that he is a gracious Savior. The way he dealt with this paralyzed man, the way he dealt with the scribes in their criticism, he is a gracious Savior. He shows in this passage he is an omnipotent Savior. He healed the paralyzed man by a word. He forgave the sins of the man by a word. He shows his omnipotence. He is the same omnipotent Savior tonight. He shows in this passage of Mark 2 his readiness to forgive sinners. And the way he dealt with not only the paralyzed man, but these scribes. He is willing to forgive the vilest of sinners. And he shows in this passage his love for sinners. His love for sinners. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ truly, sincerely has a love for sinners and desires that they repent and come to him for forgiveness. And we're reminded of that reality for we who are already believers when we come to the Lord's Supper. And you take the bread you take the cup, it is to remind you of who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished for you in his life and death on the cross. Those elements, the bread and the cup, 
should be preaching to your heart that Jesus Christ loves you, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you, dear Christian, a real Christian, born-again Christian, can you say, I know that my sins are forgiven? Can you say, I know, I know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves me? That is a powerful, powerful weapon, as it were, to defeat temptation to sin. Reminding yourself that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Jesus Christ truly loves me. So brethren, as you come to the table, he is a gracious Savior, omnipotent, a forgiving Savior, and he is a loving Savior. And for sinners, you can know these realities as well. Again, by turning away from your sins, calling unto the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And you can know these realities. Let us close now in prayer. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the word of God that reveals him to us. And we thank you for his gracious, omnipotent, his forgiving and loving love that he has shown to many of us in this place. And we ask that we would know experientially, know in our understanding, but know in our experience, by the work of your Holy Spirit, through the word of God, these realities yet more and more, that we would thus obey and serve and worship our Savior here on this earth. So receive our thanksgiving and our petitions as we come in his name. Amen.